Hey everyone, my name's Madiba, and you're listening to Bard and Bougie. I'll cut to the chase. This is a special emergency episode about the Kavanaugh nomination hearings. On Thursday, September 27th, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Dr. Ford described being sexually assaulted by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh when they were both in high school. She also described the lasting effects the attack had on her mental health. The very next day, in spite of her powerful testimony, the committee voted along party lines to send Kavanaugh's nomination to the full Senate for a vote. However, because two courageous sexual assault survivors spoke to Republican Senator Jeff Flake before the committee vote, Flake said he would not vote to confirm Kavanaugh unless the FBI investigates the allegations. But there are some bright red flags about whether this investigation will actually be meaningful. And to cap it all off, the new Supreme Court term began Monday, October 1st. This is Caps Lock a lot, so I want to talk with you all about what on earth happened over the past couple days, what's going to happen next, and what we can do about it. I'm going to pay particular attention to the ways in which Republican senators and their allies have wrongly applied legal standards to Kavanaugh's nomination process, while failing to live up to basic moral standards. Let's get started. A key player during Thursday's Senate hearing wasn't a senator at all, but a woman named Rachel Mitchell. Rachel Mitchell is a registered Republican and a sex crimes prosecutor from Arizona who was hired by Senate Republicans to interrogate Dr. Ford about her sexual assault claims. Even though neither Brett Kavanaugh nor Dr. Ford was on trial, Dr. Ford was subjected to a cross-examination. Kavanaugh was largely spared from the prosecutorial treatment. While the GOP outsourced their questioning of Dr. Ford to Ms. Mitchell for hours, they only permitted Ms. Mitchell to ask Kavanaugh a few questions before reclaiming their time to make speeches in Kavanaugh's defense. Virtually each Republican senator apologized to Kavanaugh and labeled him as the victim. Even before this lopsided treatment, Ms. Mitchell acknowledged that this process of questioning Dr. Ford in five-minute intervals was not the best way to find the truth, but she still participated in the charade. Ms. Mitchell was first introduced to the American people by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as a, quote, female assistant, which, really, I think is so fitting because patriarchy depends on women to assist in maintaining it, and that's exactly what Ms. Mitchell did. There are no Republican women on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the GOP recognized it would be a bad look for a bunch of old white guys to spend hours telling a woman they didn't believe she was assaulted. So they got another woman to do it for them. The optics are better that way. Rachel Mitchell's role was to make patriarchy palatable again. After Dr. Ford testified, Miss Mitchell asked a number of questions with shady implications. For example, even though she was hired by the GOP, Miss Mitchell asked Dr. Ford who was paying her legal fees, insinuating that she's working for someone else and someone with hidden motivations is footing the bill. Astonishingly, Miss Mitchell asked Dr. Ford why she got her own lawyer, as if it was inappropriate to do so, instead of completely reasonable if you're speaking to an attorney who was hired to pick apart all of your statements and discredit you. Like, Miss Mitchell spent a solid 10 minutes asking Dr. Ford questions about her fear of flying, 
trying to imply that she wasn't really afraid, and if she lied about that, then she lied about being sexually assaulted. This just stood out to me as ridiculous. It's as if someone said to me, Madiba, you've claimed to be afraid of rats, but you live in New York City, which is where rats come from. Therefore, aren't you lying about sexual assault? Like, what? No, ma'am. That's not how this works. But here's the thing I think was most insidious. Miss Mitchell served to misconstrue the stakes and appropriate standards to evaluate Kavanaugh's nomination. One of the most important things to know about the confirmation hearing is that it was not a trial. But you wouldn't necessarily know that by looking at it. By introducing a career prosecutor, not only could Republicans seek to rattle Dr. Ford, they could convince viewers that this was something more than a job interview. The purpose of the confirmation hearing is only to determine whether Kavanaugh's fit for a promotion. But by staging a trial-like setting and Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley going so far as to say that Dr. Ford put Kavanaugh on trial, Republicans made it seem as if we should be using criminal trial legal standards. We have higher standards for criminal trials because if people are found guilty, they go to jail and lose the liberty they are entitled to. He's not facing jail time, and Brett Kavanaugh is neither entitled to nor qualified for a seat on the United States Supreme Court. But that's what Republicans want you to believe when they bring up legal principles like innocent until proven guilty and due process. Due process is literally the procedure to ensure fairness that you are due under the Constitution. It speaks to what you're owed. Kavanaugh isn't owed anything. Beyond a reasonable doubt is the standard for a criminal trial, not a job interview. Kavanaugh is not at risk of losing his life or his liberty. And to be quite honest, it's offensive that Kavanaugh supporters keep asserting otherwise and invoking language of victimization. I was particularly struck by Republicans who referred to Kavanaugh's hearing as a lynching and compared him to Emmett Till. As I wrote recently in an article for USA Today, an inconvenient pursuit of justice against a rich white man is not the same as deadly and racist injustice against black people. I shared this article on the Bard and Bougie Facebook page if any of you are interested. Anyhow, back to the prosecutor. On Sunday, September 30th, Rachel Mitchell sent a five-page memo to all GOP senators. In that memo, she claimed that a reasonable prosecutor would not bring a case based on the evidence before the committee. Basically, Ms. Mitchell is saying, This isn't a trial, but I'm going to use this fake trial standard anyway, and since I've decided it doesn't meet that high standard, y'all should just go ahead and confirm your boy Brett Kavanaugh. It's completely disingenuous. There are a lot of problems with Ms. Mitchell's memo, some of which have even been pointed out by a former colleague of hers. But the issue I want to highlight for you all is that the memo is laser-focused on Dr. Ford's testimony, and at no point does it address Brett Kavanaugh's. This is a problem for basic fairness reasons, but also because credibility is at stake, and Kavanaugh lied repeatedly throughout the hearing. This has been documented extensively, and the nonprofit Demand Justice has tallied 31 lies so far. Kavanaugh's trustworthiness and candor were at issue even before the sexual assault allegations came out. Hashtag release the records. This has only been exacerbated by his recent perjury. If we're keeping it real, 
The only part of Kavanaugh's testimony I found credible was when he said he had a weak stomach. Brett Kavanaugh seems like the type of guy to think water is too spicy, but that's just me. It's frustrating that Senators Flake and Coons have said that if Kavanaugh lied to the committee, his nomination would be over, because we already know that he has. Dr. Ford, on the other hand, has been honest and consistent. She told her husband about Kavanaugh assaulting her years ago. She disclosed it to her therapist long before Kavanaugh was a Supreme Court nominee. She also came forward when Kavanaugh was still just on the shortlist, hoping that an attempted rapist wouldn't be considered as the nominee. It's deeply disturbing that the GOP knowingly hid the fact that they were trying to put a sexual predator on the Supreme Court, just so they could empower this predator as soon as possible, including giving him the legal authority to take away women's control of their own bodies. How ironic. The Republican Party choosing to stand by Kavanaugh is astounding because it doesn't show a commitment to so-called conservative principles. It shows a commitment to patriarchy. They could have chosen from any number of judges with equally harmful views, but they went and stayed with the one who was bad for the country and was also credibly accused of sexual assault. You've probably noticed that I wouldn't trust Kavanaugh at a food court, much less the Supreme Court. But I'm not the only one who thinks Kavanaugh is a uniquely bad nominee. The ACLU has a long-standing policy of not supporting or opposing candidates for political or judicial office. But Brett Kavanaugh changed that. For only the fourth time in its nearly 100-year history, the ACLU National Board of Directors has voted to oppose a Supreme Court nominee. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's credible testimony, subsequent allegations of sexual misconduct, the inadequate investigation, and Judge Kavanaugh's hyperpartisan testimony at the hearing led the ACLU to doubt Kavanaugh's fitness to serve as a Supreme Court justice. Hundreds of law professors and counting have signed on to a letter opposing Kavanaugh's nomination. This letter was presented to the Senate on October 4th and focuses on Kavanaugh's behavior at the hearing, a four-hour temper tantrum that the professor's letter generously described as lacking impartiality and requisite judicial temperament. Recent polling from ABC and the Wall Street Journal show that only 34% of Americans support Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. There are gross parallels between what Kavanaugh is accused of doing and what the Republican Party is doing, stifling objections and moving forward without our consent. The GOP is committed to having its way regardless of the consequences to us. So what happens now? Well, given the wavering public support for Kavanaugh from a few Republican senators, the FBI did a quote-unquote investigation into the sexual assault allegations. Yes, if you could see me, I was doing air quotes. The FBI investigation is the political equivalent of Chick-fil-A giving that 100-year-old man a lifetime supply of food the other day. It sounds nice in theory, but it's pretty meaningless in practice. My apologies to the family of the 100-year-old man. I'm just being honest. All Senator Flake really agreed to was that he won't be voting for Kavanaugh if there is no investigation. The rest of the GOP can pretty easily say, that's fine, we don't need you. All Republicans need are 50 votes, at which point Vice President Mike Pence can vote as a tiebreaker. 
Also, the White House was able to limit both the time and scope of the FBI investigation, so it was shorter than a trial membership at the gym. Moreover, many key witnesses were iced out of talking with the FBI. Late Wednesday night, the New Yorker released an article detailing sworn statements that potential witnesses sent to the FBI unsolicited because the FBI wouldn't talk to them. Dr. Ford herself wasn't interviewed by the FBI, which is wild. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, told the Washington Post that the FBI apparently didn't talk to Kavanaugh either. Senator Chuck Grassley has tried to justify this, saying that Kavanaugh and Ford were already able to testify under oath and tell the Senate what they know. But as I mentioned, Kavanaugh got to spend his time lying and being praised by Republicans, and even the GOP's hired gun, Rachel Mitchell, said on the record that their process was not a good way to find the truth. None of this makes any sense if you're trying to have a substantive investigation. If you're trying to have a sham investigation, where you can say you tried and you were reasonable before you vote for Kavanaugh anyway, then it makes perfect sense. There's no reason to believe that the results of an FBI investigation will cause Republicans to change their minds about Kavanaugh. Numerous GOP officials like Orrin Hatch, who is the longest-serving Republican senator in United States history, have already said that the assault allegations aren't disqualifying even if true. Even more disturbingly, Republican voters agree. The Economist magazine partnered with an online poster called YouGov and asked 1,500 American adults whether Kavanaugh should be disqualified from the Supreme Court if it was proven that he sexually assaulted a woman when they were both high school students. A majority of Republicans said no, a proven sexual assault allegation should not be disqualifying. I can't pretend to hide my disdain. Like, over half of this group of people is straight up like, eh, trying to rape someone is fine. That's the person I want making decisions for me and the rest of the country. They seem to have good judgment. Frankly, I think it's horrific. If any Republicans are listening to this and you are also horrified by that statistic, I'm asking you, earnestly, to reevaluate the company you keep. Especially you, white ladies. 80% of black voters believe Dr. Ford over Kavanaugh, but only 40% of white voters do. And when you break it down by gender, 46% of white women believe Dr. Ford, and 43% of white women believe Kavanaugh. This is a statistically insignificant difference. So white ladies, talk to your sisters, stand up to patriarchy, and don't put whiteness over womanhood. In another gross example of rape culture, on Tuesday, October 2nd, Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee released a letter from a man who was formerly involved with Julie Swetnick, one of the women who accused Kavanaugh and his friends of sexual assault. In this letter that the GOP deemed it reasonable to share, the man says that Julie Swetnick likes group sex and therefore he doesn't believe that Kavanaugh and his friends assaulted her. I don't want to dignify this with a response, but since Senate Republicans think this is reasonable, I'll just say this. Agreeing to have sex with a man or multiple men is obviously not the same as agreeing to have sex with some random other men. Here's an example. Imagine you're a philanthropist. 
you enjoy donating to charity. And then one day you get robbed. It makes no sense for someone to then say, whoa, 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 don't you have a history of giving your money away for free? I don't believe that someone could have taken your money against your will when you like giving money to other people. This is clearly ludicrous because you can't transfer a consent. Choosing to give a person something doesn't mean a whole other person is free to take it. I'm skeptical as to how useful this FBI report will really be, but senators got to see it Thursday morning. Senators Grassley and Feinstein agreed that senators would get alternating equal amounts of time to view the report, like GOP looks at it for an hour, then the Dems look at it for an hour, then back to the GOP, etc. I don't know why there's only one copy of the report and why they would have to take turns, but within a few days, we can know whether Brett Kavanaugh will be the next Supreme Court justice. The Supreme Court term started on Monday, October 1st, so this month, the court will start hearing cases on things like the constitutionality of the death penalty and what amounts to cruel and unusual punishment, and under what circumstances an undocumented person who was formerly in criminal custody is exempt from mandatory immigration detention. This explains why Republicans were in such a rush to get their guy confirmed at all costs. It's also super rich, by the way, considering that after Justice Scalia died, Republicans left the Supreme Court seat open for over 400 days so Barack Obama wouldn't be able to appoint a new justice. Sources inside the White House say that if, somehow, Kavanaugh falls after the FBI investigation, and Democrats get a Senate majority after the midterm election in November, Trump will refuse to put forth a more acceptable nominee that the Dems would be willing to vote for. This isn't much of a threat since this has been the way of life for over a year now, but I think it is a threat to the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, and really, all of our government institutions. The legitimacy was already barely hanging on by a thread. I understand why you might not be hopeful. I'm not especially hopeful either. I think this has been re-traumatizing for survivors and hard in general for those of us who fall outside of the model victim mold. Because if they're treating well-off white ladies like this, imagine how women of color are treated, or low-income women, or trans women, and so on and so forth. It's hard for folks who wanted to believe that this country made real progress since Anita Hill. I understand feeling like nothing will change. But I think the only people who benefit from us getting complacent are the people who would do us harm. And we owe it to ourselves and to each other to do what we can. So when you finish listening to this episode, call your senators. The congressional switchboard number is 202-224-3121. Also, the D.C. office phone number for Senator Susan Collins is 202-224-2523. You should also go to protests. There are plenty. I am also not above protesting at senators' houses, or where you see them in the restaurants. And go get registered to vote, and make sure your friends are registered to vote, and that you know how to get to the polls, or can help other folks get to the polls. Midterm elections are barely a month away, and we need to vote all these rape apologists in Congress out. Moving forward with Kavanaugh is a slap in the face to the one in three women who are survivors of sexual assault, 
as well as the one in six men who are assault survivors, and anyone with a moral compass who cares about these people and this issue. At local levels, some judges are elected, so you can also support the campaigns of judicial candidates who are committed to civil rights and, you know, aren't rapey. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you all have a better understanding of the drama-rama surrounding Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. If you like what you're hearing, please remember to subscribe and share. You can also give me feedback by rating episodes and leaving comments. I'm super interested in what y'all have to say. Bard and Bougie is available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbean. Transcripts and other updates are on the Bard and Bougie Facebook page. You can also get official Bard and Bougie shirts, mugs, tote bags, and stickers on teespring.com slash Bard and Bougie merch. I strongly recommend a shirt because I got one and it looks dope. Thanks again, friends, and be on the lookout for another episode real soon. <laughs>